from Moses, the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service, this is the In Her Boots podcast, a show about women cultivating the sustainable and organic agriculture movement and how she does it. My name is Lisa Kiverest, and I founded and lead the award-winning Moses In Her Boots project, providing training, resources, and support for women farmers. I'm a farmer myself, running in serendipity with my family in Wisconsin, and am the author of Soil Sisters, a toolkit for women farmers. The In Her Boots podcast celebrates the collaborative spirit of us women farmers and all women working to transform our food system and steward our land, sharing ideas and inspiration with each other. Whether you're a woman with a dream of starting your own farm or already have your hands deep in the soil, there's something for you here. Be sure to subscribe so you won't miss anything. We continue our series with Marie Raboyne of Brick Cider as she digs into advice on identifying and managing legal risk in running her business. Find and hire the experts, advises Marie. Even if you pay more upfront, it'll definitely pay back in the long term. Marie Raboyne runs Brick Cider, a hard cider company, farm to table restaurant, and small orchard with her husband, Matt, as well as raising two young kids, Teddy and Vera. Marie has worked in conservation agriculture for 16 years with the Natural Resources Conservation Service, Land Conservation, and UW Extension, as well as the Director of Agroecology at a local NGO in Malawi, Africa. With degrees in soil science and agroecology, Marie has focused her work on supporting farmers that practice conservation agriculture, specifically managed grazing and cover cropping systems. We are back with Marie Raboyne of Bricks Cider Pub here in, well, downtown Mount Horeb, right? As far as downtowns yep. and small towns go. Right. But you have so many different hats you wear and professionally, but also entrepreneurially in running this business. And a big part of all those aspects from the farm and the growing the apple side to the production of the cider to now running the cider pub is managing risk in different ways. And Today, we want to talk a little bit about the the legal risk side of things with the direct marketing of products. And I know you've, you've worked with insurance and lawyers and all of those things in various forms. And the, the liquor side of things takes it into a whole other yeah. level, too. Right. But you give us some advice for this general area on how do you find the right people to talk to or the right people to hire, do you know? And yeah, it seems like one of those things still, when, especially when you're talking about legal issues, people roll their eyes and don't want to talk to lawyers, much less pay for them. But you found that very helpful and very good partnerships. Helpful. Yes. And then when stuff goes wrong, you, you want to have a lawyer there. Somebody and, has your back and something yeah. will go yep. wrong. Yeah. So the way that we really did is we, well, we found, I mean, you just got to find a business that's similar to yours oh, sure. and ask them what they're doing, you know. And we got lucky where we kind of struck gold with our lawyer right away. But one way or another, Jeff Glazer would have ended up our lawyer because he's the alcohol lawyer in the area. So we would have ended up with him either way. But he's been total. him and Aaron um, Ogden, his wife, have been totally invaluable. They're not only do they understand liquor laws, but like when we were looking to lease a property, they help us, they go over that lease for us and make sure that there's no catch-alls or getches in there so that we can get out of that lease if we need to. Um, they make sure that our business is set up structurally in a way that is good for us, good for our taxes, and also protects us personally. Um, making sure that all those protections are set up is really important. And then when things do go wrong, having someone you can ask 
Like we thought about we had we had some stuff happen where we were like, do we have a legal option here? Can we file a lawsuit? And we thought about it and we didn't. But we did. We had at least the ability to talk through that option with our lawyers. Um, and I think that that's that's really important. And yeah, they're expensive, but in the end, oh my gosh, they're totally worth it. You feel I feel so much safer knowing that this whole business is set up in a way that is um, it's just the right way to do it. And they're kind of your guide and mentor in managing risk in that sense yep, too. Absolutely, and red flags and things changing. Yeah, and they even look over your insurance policy, making sure that there's you know nothing in there that's amiss. And then I have a really good relationship with my insurance agent Dale. Dale, Dale Dale and I talk a lot you know because we've got a lot of different moving parts we've got two different LLCs one of which is a farm um, and the farm also covers our off-farm labor needs which is harvesting apples so we have to have one policy for the orchard and the farm we have a separate policy for the cidery um, there's a little bit of crossover with workman's comp but you know insurance is important um especially when you look at other businesses that have let's you look at a restaurant that's burned down and now they have a gofundme site like boy i when i sat down with our with our insurance agent i was like dale i don't want to have to have a gofundme if i burn my restaurant down on accident i should be insured (laughs) properly yeah Yeah, that's very clear and morbid as that is no that's the point but like i remember when that whole thing happened down in sun prairie and it was awful and i was like dale i don't want to have to get donations like this is a for-profit business i i don't like the idea of getting a donate you know yep i'm trying to make money here so that was a big thing is just making sure my insurance agent understood that, like, I wanted proper insurance. And did you interview different insurance agents, or how did you? I actually, Dale? I used Marianne Bellatini's recommendation. Oh, uh, was on our podcast at Campo de Bella. Exactly. But, but that's that is how you do a lot of these things, right? Yep. Asking, I emailed Mary and I said, "You've got a similar business structure to ours. Who's your insurance agent?" And she sent me to Dale, which and is she a, recommended him. Obviously, and she recommended him. He's in Madison, um, but he and the insurance companies that he works with. Um, he understands wineries mm-hmm. and we're technically legally we're a winery and I wanted someone again who wasn't going to fumble through this. I wanted someone who's insured a winery before. I don't want to pay for someone's time because they don't know the system or know the, mm-hmm. um, the business that I'm in. So I found someone who knew. Yeah. That's super helpful advice. Yeah. And that has to do with, as we've been talking about your network of people. Yeah. You, I mean, we both see that particularly amongst women in the sustainable ag scene we we do that naturally right if someone if if some someone who's going to open a cidery i mean the amount of paragraph you know novel emails i've sent to other people who want to open a cidery trying to help them you know and that's that's how we are we're pretty helpful and that was the same thing in the the podcasts we did with marianne and the whole farm to table restaurant literally Mm -hmm. they put in on their farm but so transparent in what did it cost and how do we navigate that and anybody I think who can navigate the liquor regulations yep. are bonded to each other. Exactly. But, but it, it, it is definitely that when the water rises, everybody rises yep. and all the boats float yep. better because the uh, there's just ships. more things, yes. more things. Mm-hmm. But that must too also bottom line save you time, right? Oh, God, yeah. I mean, and you are a busy lady. <laughs> yeah. Just, no, I just need, you know, we. I need to know something and I need to make a decision and I move on. I cannot putter around and deal with researching every tiny little thing i need to know someone's going to do a good job and then we go for it you know 
Yeah. And how do you, this is more of a broader philosophical question, but how do you like sleep at night with risk? Do you know? Because it's really hard. Well, but it's one of those almost, I don't know, entrepreneurial cliffs, if you will. Do you know? I'm kind of convinced some people can, some people can't, but. Yeah. I mean, you can have all the insurance policy in the world and things can still. Oh, you still need to make money. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's, that's what keeps me up at night is we just, we need to, we need to cash flow because. If I can't pay my employees or I can't pay my bills, like there's no, there's no money behind it. We're like, you know, we're week to week, which I think a lot of businesses are. You make money from one week and you can pay your bills the next week. Um, sleeping really is hard. I think it is made harder by the fact that I, I, we had a baby. <laughs> you have two little kids. So yeah. I have two little kids, one of which is one. So she was an infant when we started all of this. So I wasn't sleeping anyway. <laughs> And so maybe like it didn't, it was kind of like, whatever, I'm not sleeping anyway because I've got this baby. Um, And I, you know, I, yeah, sleeping, there are nights that we spend awake. And I know there's nights I get emails from Matt at 2 a.m. because he's up and he can't sleep. So he's on his computer figuring stuff out. Yeah. Um, yeah, sleep is hard. And I tried CBD and it just didn't work for me. So <laughs> I'm, I'm glad it works for some people. Didn't I tried it for six months and I didn't notice a difference. So I'm, I'm kind of bummed. If anybody has any good advice on that, I'd, I'd love <laughs> to know. But you're managing it. I <laughs> I'm mean, managing. You, it, I think it's one of those things, and you exemplify this, that to be a real entrepreneur, you have to thrive in that chaos or so. at least tolerate it yeah. in a way that... Um, Because you know there's going to be, as you have in your own story, lots of unpredictable curveballs. You prepare as best as you can and you roll. Yep. And you can't be all that risk averse. Yeah. You just kind of have to understand that inherently there's risk in all this. And you're going to buy a piece of equipment that you think is good and it's not going to be good and you're going to be out 2000 bucks, And, you know, you make those mistakes. Like we made that mistake on on some equipment for sure that we wish we hadn't bought. So as long as it's not a... And game changer, you know, yeah. you move on, you kind of recover, do what you can. I like that too. You were, we were talking earlier as your business plan evolved, it diversified in ways that allowed you to manage risk that you might not even have predicted, right? I mean, the, yeah. the food side here. Right. Or... We, our, our wholesale, you know, we do quite a bit of wholesale every year and that and can was, float can talk us. More, so so when you, you mentioned earlier that the wholesale was the first piece of the yep. pie you did. Yeah. Did you feel that could never support the business solely right. and you wanted that hence the diversification yep. into the so, others. Yeah, because we um we pick all the apples that we press and um that constrains us volume wise to what we can actually do. We don't buy juice. Most cideries, the bigger cideries are just buying juice in. Mm. And um and then you're you're not volume restricted at that point. But we're restricted to the fact that we've got between the beginning of September and the first of November to oh sure to there's apple season oh, all yeah, of yeah. the apples that we need for the following year so and that's a little unpredictable there too and it can be unpredictable um, we have relationships with a lot of different farms which has been really great we didn't have to drive more than thirty miles last year to get apples and we got all we needed um, so we we foster those relationships and word spreads there's a lot of orchards around but. So we have to, I mean, we have three months that we need to get all of our product for the year. And not only do you need to harvest it, but you need to process it. So it has to be harvested, pressed, and put into frozen storage 
and then we bring out frozen juice as we need it throughout okay. the year. Oh, so, do you do that here on site, or is that no? Fro- we it's use a different process. Yeah, we use a commercial frozen storage, and then we actually this year we pressed apples last year, but this year we are going to have. Um, Rami from Adams to Apples. He's an organic apple grower just south of Mount Horeb. He has a beautiful press and he's going to press all our apples, which is amazing because that's one less thing we have to do. Yeah. And oh, he's got yeah. a good press that then he can put to use and we can pay him to do that. You know, so it helps his cash flow and it helps us with um, constraints on labor. Sure. Yep. Sure. Um, and so having the wholesale side and now the retail side yep. and the tasting side yep. and the food service side yep am i missing anything I mean, it's a, it's I a think that's, yeah yeah that's a, that's about it i mean we try to yeah. yeah i don't know if there's another way we could diversify or if i'd want to even if i could so um, we are doing a collaboration with working draft brewery though so that's going to be fun they're using half they're making a beer with half apple juice Oh, interesting. Yeah, so we'll have that released for probably later in September uh-huh. for like a uh-huh. fall special. So, And two, yeah. you also manage risk through having these small batches of products, right? Could you talk about ah, it? Ah, yes. I mean, it's, it's I, I would think, a strong marketing appeal that you have these unique ciders, small batches. You're working with all these different orchards. So yep. get it now while it's here because the next one's going to be different. Yep. But on the flip side, they're small, right? Versus yeah. having yeah. Huge so if, stocks. if something goes bad, it's only a small amount that goes bad. Um, the one thing that's unique about us, we're you know not all the apples come from our orchard. We source from about twenty other orchards around. around. And you never plan to grow them all yourself. No, right? that yeah. was we never could. I mean, not at not and do all of this. And I don't have that much money, so <laughs> it's really expensive to, to set up so, an orchard. Yeah. So we might as well use the infrastructure that's in place. These apples are already out there. They're not like an annual crop, you know, yeah. just, you know, they're there whether yeah. you want them or not. And these are commercial orchards? These are com- extras? Yep. Falls, seconds. yep. Seconds or they're orchards that the, the, the owners are retired, but the apples still produce apples. Oh, sure, yeah. So we've probably got half a dozen retired orchards that we work with and they are so happy to see the apples picked and we pay them for the apples you know it's not a lot but we're not we don't get anything for free you know we try to pay people um but yeah the small batches i think because we keep 11 to 12 ciders on tap again it kind of goes back to like my job add i would be so i don't know how breweries make the same thing all the time that would drive me nuts we, every batch we make is different. So we'll mix apples within an orchard, but we never mix orchards. So okay. when you pick up a bottle of our cider or you get something on tap, all the apples in that cider came from one specific place. So we're very place-based ciders, um, which I think is unique. Yeah. Um, and so we make these 60-gallon batches, which is like basically unheard of in the commercial world. Yeah. No one does that. You're defying the yeah. rules. Yeah. And it's like, it would be really boring. I think Dan would get bored. I would get bored. We can, we have one, we did one that is a 20 gallon batch. I mean, that's like homebrew <laughs> level. And it'll go on tap next week, whatever. It'll run out. It's two kegs. It'll run out when it runs out. But it was a good experiment. We've got some that are, yeah, 25 gallons, 60 gallons. And do you find that that exclusive factor helps in the marketing side? I think people, like especially our regulars, love to come in and be able to try something new. 
we can do a release party every week, every other week of a new <laughs> cider. We did one. Um, we had a party for the greatest cider on earth, we called it, because we harvested the apples from the Ringling Brothers Orchard up in Sauk. Oh, and so we had a girl walking on stilts. One of our employees, of course, one of my employees was a professional juggler in her previous life, of course. So she was out there teaching people to juggle. And we had masks and hats and wigs. And it was a big party. We had a good band play. And it was fun. So we can kind of play off that and do all these different releases and also keep ourselves creative. Sure. Yeah. That's huge. That's huge. Terrific. Thank you. Thanks for listening to our In Her Boots podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Kiverest, with the Moses In Her Boots project. This episode's audio engineer was Liam Kiverest of TechSocket.net. The podcast was brought to you by the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service, Moses. The mission of Moses is to educate, inspire, and empower farmers to thrive in a sustainable organic system of agriculture. For more information on Moses, in her boots, and a bounty of organic resources, check out mosesorganic.org.